Welcome to The Good Life. I'm your host, Sean Murray. My guest today is Mike Horn, author of Integrity by Design, Working and Living Authentically. Mike consults with organizations to help them build authentic cultures, and he works directly with executives as a leadership coach. In this episode, we explore what it means to live an authentic life. We look to Warren Buffett as an example in the business community, as someone who leads with integrity and has built a company in Berkshire Hathaway that is built on trust. We discuss the corporate scandals at both Enron and Wells Fargo and the cautionary tales they provide of what happens when an organization fails to build a strong culture of integrity. And finally, Mike provides tips on how we can use the principles of integrity by design to live a more authentic, flourishing life. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mike as much as I did. My friends, I bring you Mike Horn. You're listening to The Good Life on the Real Time Podcast Network, where we explore the ideas, principles, and habits that help you live a meaningful, flourishing life. Join your host, Sean Murray, on a journey for the life well lived. Mike Horn, welcome to The Good Life. Thank you so much, Sean. I am just delighted to be here with you on The Good Life to uh, engaging in an interesting dialogue and conversation with you. Great. I'm looking forward to it, too. And the topic of today's discussion is your new book, Integrity by Design, Working and Living Authentically. And it is releasing this month. I got an early copy of it, and I really enjoyed the book. And, and I thought I'd start with just asking you about the origin of the book, where it came from, the idea to write this book, and what you were hoping to achieve. I've had the amazing opportunity to work with hundreds of talented leaders and executives around the world and global corporations, both as a, an executive in those organizations and as a consultant to those organizations and as a coach to many of those leaders. So this in a way, begins to provide a blueprint for what it means to lead a congruent life, uh, a happy life, and one which uh, drives the kinds of goals that you, your teammates, your colleagues, and your organization are typically interested in. It's to help everyone to bring more of who they are and what they do to close the gaps between what we say we'll do and what we actually do. One of the aspects I really enjoyed about the book is it brings integrity into both business and life. Um, you introduce you know, principles and mindsets for thinking about integrity, for living a whole integral life, and practicing the values of integrity, both in, at business and a business setting like you were talking about with teams and an organization and enterprise, and also personally in our own lives. And one of the individuals we talk a lot about on this podcast is Warren Buffett, coming from a value investing standpoint. And the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting was just last weekend. Right. We're recording this on the Monday after the meeting. Uh, but early on in the book, you you pull out a quote from Buffett, which I just uh -huh. love, and I was hoping you could talk about it. He, he at one point... I, he said this several times, I don't know, in letters, and I've, I've heard him say it, but he said there's three qualities he looks for in a manager. He says, in looking for people to hire, you look for three qualities, integrity, intelligence, and energy. And if you don't have the first, the other two will kill you. <laughs> Can you yeah. talk a little bit about that? 
and it's so true, isn't it? And integrity, I think, is one of those things that gets tested time and time again. And maybe it's important to distinguish between authenticity and integrity too, right? Because it sometimes it gets a little fuzzy for people. And I love the uh, Buffett quote. And one of the uh, just a side note um, relative to the recent Buffett meeting was there's also been some dialogue as do we need more older CEOs? And I thought, oh, what a great other conversation uh, to have. I mean, given not only his uh, dominance, but certainly his eminence, I mean, in uh, leading and guiding uh, many investors. But back to this concept of authenticity and uh, integrity. Integrity is something that I believe can be tested all, all of the time. It's tested throughout life, whether you're uh, representing a client's interests or representing a customer's interests and your own interests to understand you know, beyond your fiduciary duties where you might be tested. I don't think integrity is a, is a final point. Rather, it tends to be the notes of a tempo to authenticity. When we talk about integrity, we talk about a whole cloth, right? Or maybe if you're interested in it from an engineering perspective, we talk about structural integrity. It's things hold together. And the relationship between integrity and authenticity is authenticity is about congruency. It's about uh, making sure that the words and actions match and that you operate uh, with a mindset or ways of thinking that are uh, full of integrity. Yeah, it does come down to relationships and trust. And you mentioned that authenticity is a wholeness. And you also mentioned that integrity is something that you have to maintain over a lifetime. I think there's a great quote in here there's no such thing as a minor lapse of integrity. I think that was a, <laughs> I think it was a, Tom Peters. There's another great Buffett quote around uh-huh. integrity, which kind of gets to this. He says, it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. If you think about that, you'll do things differently. So true, right? Yeah. yeah. It's something that we build up over time. It's precious, but we can lose it at any moment by making an ethical error or by doing something that's not living up to integrity. And, and that's, mm-hmm. that makes it so important. I've experienced two kinds of, oh, I forgot. I don't know about you or uh, the listeners, but there's the kind of, oh, I forgot. I'm so sorry that happened. I don't know uh, how I neglected that or how I missed it. And then there's the other kind of, oh, I forgot that sometimes you hear and hopefully not very often, but as if it, it's as if Someone didn't care enough to take an interest in you. And I think that's what we see in authentic leaders is, you know, number one, they take an interest in others. They demonstrate that they care. They show that they care. Maybe that's the first thing is that they show that they care. And secondly, is that they do the work around it, right? We can't necessarily assume that, you know, everybody brings integrity to a situation. And there are so many examples to that. So, you know, operating from a moral and ethical framework, established in some humanistic values around valuing everyone, bringing dignity to the situation. These are all the important variables that make our relationships uh, work in life. Both are, as you said, Sean, both are intimate and our professional relationships. Well, one of the concepts that that you talk about in the book is this idea of self-awareness and being aware of our own strengths and potentially weaknesses. And, you know, Richard Feynman said that the first principle is that you must not fool yourself and you are the easiest person 
to fool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, so can you talk a little bit about self-awareness and the role that plays in integrity and, and authenticity? One of the statements that helped me to frame integrity by design was uh, worth three observations that the Swiss psychoanalyst Carl Jung made. The first is that you are what you do, not what you say you'll do. So you are what you do, not what you say you not what you say you'll do. And his second observation was that the privilege of a lifetime is uh, paraphrasing this. The privilege of a lifetime is to become who you are. And the third observation he made is that in order to work on the first two, you have to accept where you are today. And I think that is the challenge that growth-oriented leaders, managers, people bring to the, every situation. We want to bring our best to situations. And to do that requires you know, comfort in your own skin, knowing who you are, knowing what fuels your passions and your drives and your ability, as well as knowing when to characterize it as your limitations, because we don't want to focus on this. We really want to focus on uh, strengths as we live a, a, a life uh, with integrity. So uh, I'd make those kinds of observations about how to do it. And then it really begins by working at establishing trust with others. And the way to do that is through an approach of open communication. And, and to do that, you have to, again, have a good sense of who you are and be willing to meet somebody on relational terms in order to make a difference. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, to be authentic, we need to know who we are to be authentic to our own personal values. Do you have suggestions for how to become more self-aware? I mean, I've heard people uh, sometimes reflect in a journal daily, have a close group of friends or one or two friends that help them understand how they're perceived by others. So how do we do that? How do we become more self-aware? There are so many great uh, practices in one, as you described, is journaling. I like a lot of the techniques that arise out of gestalt psychology in terms of focus, uh, in terms of self-awareness. And one of those begins with focusing. And you can do that by bringing your direct gaze to uh, something or someone for uh, 10 seconds, uh, you know, completely focus and then focus out for another 10 seconds. So just practicing those kinds of uh, focusing techniques um, can be very helpful in helping us to distinguish what comes into the foreground, right? And what's operating in the background, because we always want to consider the context of our, you know, uh, of our interactions that drive us towards the goals that we have to live authentically and to live a, a life with integrity by design. One of the quotes that you pull out in the book that I really loved about this self-awareness was Billie Jean King. She said, I think self-awareness is probably the most important thing toward being a champion. And that, that really jumped out at me. Right. And as I think about you know, bringing more of who we are to what we do, think about your values. And values are selective. We choose values over time. Some people choose affiliative values. You know, they want to make sure that they affiliate with others. Some people have accumulation values. Uh, really thinking through the kinds of values that you choose and that you shape and that have influenced you so that you can uh, live those out in ways. And so for me, you know, I think about how do I create more participation? How do I create more democracy? I mean, having been a 
human resources executive and leader and coaching consultant, it's really thinking about it in those terms of how do I live out these values in a way that respects individuals, that values their dignity, that increases the diversity of ideas and people around me, and that grows inclusion as well. You know, one of the concepts I really, really struck me in your book, it made a lot of sense around integrity, which is this idea of owning it, you know, being accountable. And it's one of the traits that I love in great leaders. I'll just pull Warren Buffett out again, for example, because the, the meeting is kind of top of mind. There was one point at the end of the meeting where he took a question and the question was something like, why did Berkshire make this mistake, Warren? And his first answer was, no, no, it wasn't Berkshire that made the mistake. I made the mistake. And then he went in on to explain what that mistake was and what he learned from it. And I just found that so refreshing. And and you talk about the importance of owning it to integrity and being authentic. Well, accountability develops in a social context as well. It does require a set of uh, ownership. It requires a sense of being firm in the identity that we bring to every situation I mean, the identities that shape us and shape our behaviors. And I think it's just a great way to think about helping others is to be accountable to yourself first. I mean, we can, you know, there's so many ways that you can see in, in some literature relative to integrity to thine own self be true. You know, one of the, one of the big business stories of the last 15 or 20 years is Enron. And I can't help think about Enron sometimes when I think about integrity and living authentically and this idea of owning it. And I think one of the one of the things that really drove people crazy and sort of drove me crazy about a corporate scandal like Enron is leaders like Ken Lay and Jeff Skilling, who basically said, we didn't know that this was going on on our watch. Um, we had no idea. And that was sort of their defense. And out of that grew the Sarbanes-Oxley legislation, which basically says, you know, now the CEO and the CFO have to sign off on their financial statements. They can't just get away with saying, oh, I didn't know all this was going on. And Mm -hmm. I think it's just an example of people not owning it, right? Yeah. And yet it persists. And, you know, it's something that is very interesting to me that's changed in executive compensation is that it is the nature of severance packages. And in the past, you know, they were often designed one, to protect an institution or an organization from losing its CEO to a competitor, and therefore they were put in place. Then there came a time when they were uh, in place or in vogue in order to help an organization maintain its CEO and leadership team relative to keeping a great market capitalization. But what's changed about them and what's so curious uh, to me about them now is that often these severance packages still kick in when there is, you know, behavior that for most people would be questionable. It's interesting to see how that goes. And there are plenty of examples in the current business world relative to that. Now, I would just say Enron, you could take that in so many different ways. If you were an employee at Enron, how did you feel going into that organization? You know, what did it do to your performance? And, you know, are there still lessons from Wells Fargo? What was that 15 years uh, post Enron? Yeah, let's talk about Wells Fargo a little bit because you know it's a company that Berkshire Hathaway has owned in the past and that Buffett has really been a cheerleader of, but yet it really didn't live up to its values. And just to kind of bring the audience up to speed, 
there there were a number of issues at Wells Fargo, but the one that really stands out and that most people talk about is this idea of creating accounts. And there was an incentive to for employees to create more accounts. And that's how they were compensated. So if you could get a customer to create a new account, whether it made sense for the customer or it made any kind of business sense, they did it. And they did it often in an unscrupulous way, in a fraudulent way. And the CEO eventually stepped down. But so yeah, that's 15 years after Enron. Um, Not one CEO. Uh, is that, oh, they've gone through two now? Is that right? Okay. Uh, I think three. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, you know, so talk a little bit about Wells Fargo. Like what, what, what do you make of that? Uh, what do you make of the, the leadership and, and what can we do to avoid those situations? Well, it's always, you know, where does the emphasis come? Because I'm sure that there were people who believed they were executing on decisions that had been made. And we could take this back to accountability. You know, who in their right mind thought about perpetrating this fraud on uh, customers in the institution? And certainly there are some accountabilities, but I think we have to ask ourselves what happened to the values. And we can relate this directly back to Enron. I think Enron had as one of its key corporate values, integrity. It was written probably in every hallway in Enron. It has to mean something, you know, beyond the words on the walls. And maybe there wasn't enough discussion at Wells Fargo. I don't know this. This is a pure speculation. Maybe there wasn't enough discussion about the values at the at the appropriate leadership levels. Was there enough discussion and real discussion about values uh, for the organization and how did that guide and shape executive behavior? Executives are great at coming up with lists of things, you know, a list of this, a, li- a list of leadership behaviors, a list of purposes, a list of accomplishments. And maybe that's all too often at the risk of not having some sort of value-centered conversation that is enacted, you know, beyond the discussion. Yeah. Just to relate Wells Fargo, you know, back to that, uh, that very first Warren Buffett quote, it takes a lifetime to build up reputation. You can lose it in five minutes. And Wells Fargo had built up a good reputation over years and and lost it with some poor decision-making and leadership skills at, at the top. You have to believe that recovery is possible. Okay, you know, an example that. of that is Martha Stewart, okay. you know, who seems to have rebuilt her brand uh, in a bigger and better ways. I mean, following her uh, insider training uh, scandal, you know, many years ago. Accountability has to sit somewhere in this equation. Yes, and I agree with you that when we walk into the corporate headquarters, we see the the posters that tote the values, which often include integrity. But what does it really mean? And that comes from dialogue. It comes from discussion. And it, I think you even mentioned the book. It's something that starts at the individual level. We all have to own it. And it's not an amorphous corporate sort of quality. It's an individual quality that builds up into the culture. And for many people... You know, if there's one thing that the pandemic has uh, established is that culture is not about the buildings. I mean, many people haven't been on their corporate campuses. They haven't been to their offices in 14 or 15 months. And yet, you know, organizations, I mean, particularly as people reenter and come to revisit or return to new ways of working, I think, you know, there'll be a challenge around how do we bring this authentic leadership, trust, communication, openness? Probably need it more than ever. Let's shift and talk about another company in the Bay Area, 
Google mm. because you 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 mentioned Google in the book, a famous study, uh, mm-hmm. one that I'm I'm somewhat familiar with. They codenamed Oxygen. With what are the traits that make up a great manager at Google? And I think they came up with eight of them. But what you point out, in, and then they updated it. Maybe you could talk mm-hmm, about the mm-hmm. updating. But but the question you pose in the book, which I think is a very good one, is the word integrity doesn't show up in exactly in any of the eight traits, uh, including the, the new ones that they added. So talk a little bit about that, because you said that, that doesn't mean it's not there. And I think that's a good point. Right. I think what's uh, critical in the update that Google did on its leadership projects, its leadership study was that it reinforced the importance of psychological safety as a key ingredient to having uh, success with the leader. And I think many of the concepts of Amy Evanson's concepts of psychological safety relate to creating an authentic leadership environment and one that certainly has integrity. So as we think about the Google leadership work, and it was extensive research that led the team at Google to devising and thinking about those ways and really looking at what made people successful in teams. So it is about creating this inclusive team environment that you've got to show people that you're that you care about them, that you're concerned about them. And you know the the other uh, newer pieces around collaborating, strong decision making, decision making. We can re- relate that Sean right back to the comments around accountability. It's so important that in any kind of decision-making that there's someone accountable, just as uh, Warren Buffett demonstrated at the recent uh, Berkshire meeting, taking accountability for uh, the decision. So if you want to start for a place in terms of your relationships or in your corporate systems, it's to look at, look at you know, who has accountability for decision-making and How far is that devolved in the organization? And what are the principles that shape the kinds of uh, decisions that get made? Yeah. And you mentioned that the quality of a strong decision maker, which is one of the qualities that that Google talks about in their study, it's a characteristic of a great leader at Google, a strong decision maker, that we can infer from that that strong decision makers have responsibility, decision makers with integrity are accountable. And that's one area where integrity is showing up in this list is in this decision making. Let's shift to another topic in the book that that really struck me that I think resonates with me and I, I and also a lot of the topics we talk about on this podcast. You wrote in the book, Mike, integrity calls us to a purpose. We want lives of contribution and recognition. And I think this gets to the power of integrity you know, both in business and in life, to align us with purpose if we really are self-aware, if we really listen to it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that that really jumped out at me. Right. You know, I think we can do that in a couple of ways. So one way that we might do it is to, you know, think about how people respond to the question, you know, what do you do? And people might respond to that. I'm an accountant, I'm a uh, bricklayer, however you want to describe yourself. But then again, you know, we talk about purpose and is, you know, the purpose of the accountant to cultivate financial well-being is the purpose of the bricklayer to build cathedrals. So it's really thinking about how you imagine your career and your life. The reason I think it's important to have authentic leadership in organizations is that authenticity is about congruency. 
you know, my words, my actions, my ways of thinking all match. And when I'm congruent, I'm generally happy. A person who's congruent is generally happy. Uh, I don't mean the kind of happiness that, you know, comes from having a new boyfriend or girlfriend or partner or the happiness that might be associated with the birth of a child. But I'm talking about the sort of sustained happiness. And generally, it's been my experience that people like working for happy people. In fact, it's not only my experience. I mean, the research will bear that out is that people who work for leaders who are happy generally produce better results. I mean, clearly, I think we don't have enough of it. Yeah, that's a, I love that concept. Integrity is about congruence. And mm. if we are congruent with our values and what we hope to achieve in life, then we will be living our purpose. So I, I think being self-aware and having integrity, an, an integral part of that is is aligning yourself with what matters most to you. And and sometimes that means you, you do switch careers or you get into something else. I, I'm reminded of that famous kind of Steve Jobs quote where he says, you know, you got to look yourself in the mirror every day. And if you're not doing something that's really aligned with your passion, you've got to, you, you, eventually you got to think about that and, and make a change. And so I think in my view, integrity really does lead to helping you find your purpose if you really listen to it and you, you seek that congruence. Sure, it's about directing the significance of your life. Yes, exactly. And living it out. You mentioned a book most of my listeners have probably read called Good to Great by Jim Collins uh-huh. uh, and Built to Last. You know, just they're, they're probably, what, 15 or 20 years old. Oh, right? my goodness, yeah. at least. Yeah, uh, but real classics. And you mentioned that, you know, history has not been kind to some of the books, some of the companies that were profiled in the book by Jim Collins. But one thing that Jim really got right was this idea of one of the first things you need to do as a leader is to get the right people on the bus. He mentions integrity and this idea of level five leadership. That's always really spoken to me too. And I think it's quite true. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and how, how that's played out in the companies you've worked at? And Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know how this will sit with everyone in the audience. And I think one thing I learned at uh, Genentech I think from Art Levinson was that A players hire A players, B players hire B players, and you know it all sort of goes downhill from there. And I think there was a one point in that uh, culture or that organization where if you were making a presentation to the leadership team or the CEO and you had used external consultants to assist you in any way with your thinking or with your presentation, you needed to put a skull and crossbones on every page of your presentation to demonstrate maybe that you were bringing your best to the situation just to make it clear to everybody. Now, I, I think all of that has, you know, some myth and folklore to it as well, uh, and maybe some truth, but it is this uh, ability to bring the right people. Look, as a person who's led talent acquisition teams uh, across the globe and managed recruiters and sourcers and all of the folks that really go along to, you know, bringing a great hiring experience along. You're always better off to take your time and find a fit. And you're also better off when that fit isn't there to address it quickly. So uh, I'm with you. I, I still think that's an important lesson. And it's one way that as far as what we have to make sure is that 
we are bringing diverse ideas and diverse people into our frameworks because we know that that will just make for a stronger exercise of leadership and stronger performance. Yeah. And this idea of that Jim Collins calls level five leadership, I think it aligns with what you're talking about with psychological safety and with what you just mentioned, uh, bringing in diverse opinions and perspectives, creating a culture where people feel safe to bring their best ideas, to bring their authentic self. It starts with relationships. It starts with respect. And what, what Jim Collins noticed was these leaders at these great companies tended to be sort of humble in that way. They would never go around saying, hey, I have integrity. I'm ethical. Mm. Uh, no. It'd be quite the opposite. They just acted with it. And, and then people wanted to be led by them. And, and it was the real examples of, of role models of integrity. Sure. And I think you'll generally find them to be uh, collegial, despite all of the trappings of power that may be associated with them in organizational settings. But generally, people who are as open to using themselves and to listening to what you have to say. And that is a way that we form those important relationships in an organization. A lot of uh, successful people leading organizations of substance are very confident in their ideas and in their way of approaches. And that's their ego speaking. And the best, those who are superlative, really have a way of using themselves uh, with appropriate disclosure to ask a question of someone in a way to get that person to bring more of who they are to what they do. One of the things I liked about your book is you did talk about leaders that had made a difference in your life and that you have observed. I was hoping you could maybe share one, pick one out that might be a good example for the audience just around how you observed a leader of integrity and authenticity, how it showed up in some of the successful leaders you've worked with. Yes. Maybe what I'll do is I'll do a composite, I think, of some of these best leaders drawing on what I've seen in them. One is that they make it intimate. I worked with one and uh, as he was building a global sales team, I noticed that the meeting rooms were always too small. And he had a way of getting people to rub shoulders that connected them with something greater than who they are. So that would be one trait is getting people to rub shoulders to helping others to build uh, connections, to form those relationships themselves. Maybe what those kinds of authentic leaders do is they always, Sean, make us feel like an insider. And maybe that's what he was doing, getting people to rub shoulders, creating a feeling of being a, an insider. A second leader, he would often talk over people in meetings and you know, not wait to be uh, asked for a contribution. Everyone loved her and everyone admired her because what she demonstrated in everything that she did was just how much she cared. So it's this, you know, getting people to rub shoulders, making people feel like insiders, letting others know that you care and that you take an interest in them. And, you know, some of the ways that the leaders, uh, the executives, the, the global executives that I've observed is they even do it through their spatial configurations. These are people who maybe lean into the Zoom call a little bit. These are people who... You know, when you visit their office, it might just be two or three chairs or four chairs around a small table. So, so I think these are some of the characteristics. And what I'd add as a last uh, comment is also a capacity for vision and goals. Having a goal helps people to see progress. And yeah, I think what we know is that progress drives engagement. 
You just mentioned some behaviors of these leaders or a composite of the leaders you worked with. And that's one of the themes that runs throughout your book is this idea that behavior is key, how we act. We learn through reflection and dialogue with others. Um, And if we can surround ourselves with high integrity people, it also helps. But we will demonstrate our integrity with our behaviors and how we act. Can you talk a little bit about that and just, you know, how maybe that concept can help us all become better leaders and become more authentic in how we show up? Sure. Again, you know, I tie this back to the issues that you raised earlier around self-awareness. What we haven't really talked about is how we use ourselves, right? That use of self or uh, agentic behavior or agency behavior. And maybe that's what integrity by design helps to start people to do is to think about this blueprint for change and for personal growth in organizations. I mean, I think you have to start with uh, introspection and reflection, knowing the values that are important to you. If you heard other people describe you, uh, what would you be hearing? Do you have allies? Who do you count on? There is some truth, uh, some truth. I think there's a lot of truth to Gallup's research work. They have um, an employee engagement questionnaire. One of the questions, uh, they ask 12 questions to measure engagement. One of the questions is, or statements is, I have a best friend at work. And people ask to score that, you know, zero to five, zero to 10, whatever the scale is. Uh, and that question has always been controversial. I have a best friend at work as a, as a predictor of engagement. But I think the work, their work bears that out. When we know there's someone at work who has our back that we trust, it's likely that we're able to bring more of who we are. So I think, you know, it, it's knowing who to count on. Yeah, I th- th- those questions are great. And you've got a section at the end of the book, I think you call it call to action, where you list out, I believe it's 25 questions. Huh? And and one of the things I like about those questions is it's not just about life, personal or work. You you break out the questions. Some of them are designed more to reflect on how we show up at work, how we can cultivate integrity at work. Some of them are designed to show up how we can cultivate integrity and authenticity with our relationships and at home and our personal relationships. And then you go on, I think, to community and at the enterprise level, at the organizational level. So, and probably a few others, I'm not remembering all of them, mm. but I, I really like that you gave people sort of a blueprint of some questions to ask and reflect, but then it all really does come back to, okay, I got to take that and, and act in a new way. If I want to move forward and improve and grow in, in this area, I've, I've got to go out and show up. It's not enough to say, I want to be a better contributing member of my community. You got to go out and do it, right? Sure. And, and, you know, maybe that's, you know, in my coaching up with executives is about opening doors and possibilities, about identifying, you know, what are you worried about? What are you concerned about? And then figuring out what are the underlying assumptions that are holding you back from making a change in this way? So it's about opening some doors, opening some possibilities so that we can move to a next step around, you know, closing the gaps between what we want to achieve and what we do achieve this thing about distinguishing between work and home, again, you know, pandemics should prove that out well. But uh, we used to talk about work-life balance. I think we know that that really doesn't mean much because sometimes work takes over, sometimes family life takes over. What we look for is the satisfying blend of, you know, integrating our work and life that neither are something that we do on the side. Yes. If we're living authentically, 
and we are seeking a congruent life, we're getting a lot of satisfaction out of what we're doing with our time at work and also what we're doing at home. Right. You know, so I think you can flourish in both places. And if you're doing it right, you will. And if you're doing work that's really meaningful to yourself uh, and to the world, then you're going to make it work. It's not going to be as much of a clash of different right. values, right? It's, it's, right. it's all about optimizing your life. Absolutely. Yes. Not something you do on the side. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, maybe in closing, we could talk about the design part of your book because it's integrity by design. What did you mean exactly by design and, and what, what can we do to help get started to design, to build that blueprint? I think I, I often think about uh, choices that adults have and whether we're driven to progressive behaviors or regressive behaviors. And I think about the uh, parent within us and uh, the child within us. And I always like to think, well, what would happen if the adult in my life showed up? <laughs> and I think that I learned that from uh, two of my mentors, Charlie and EDC Shore, as uh, they thought about authentic change and getting people to bring their best to situations is that these are the choices, you know, if our adult self shows up, you know, what do we do? And I think that these are the challenges that so many uh, managers uh, face in organizations every day that people who are building client and customer relationships face every day. And to understand these drives, to understand these purposes, uh, again, paraphrasing Jung, is the privilege of a lifetime. Well, that's a very well put. Thank you so much, Mike, for coming on The Good Life. Where can people find out more about your work, You know what you're doing, if they want to get in touch with you and, uh, and the book? Uh, the easiest way to find out about me is on the web at mike-horn.com. So it's M-I-K-E-H-O-R-N-E.com. And that'll take you to all the resources. It'll take you to a monthly newsletter, or our podcasts on authentic change. It'll point you in all the right directions. And and always find Integrity by Design on uh, Amazon soon. Great. Mike, thank you for being on The Good Life. Thank you so much, Sean. I've so enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to The Good Life Podcast. If you liked the show, please subscribe, provide a review in Apple or Spotify, and visit our website at seanpmurray.net. Until next time, have a wonderful week.